Hey everybody, it's Allie and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, June 14th, 2015. Why, oh why do actors and actresses have to be so amazing right before they leave the show? Because I am so in to Avery right now. I don't know if I've been this into her the entire time she's been on the show. And now that I know she's leaving the show, I mean, I'm completely into her story. I'm completely into the actress. I mean, I, I, I know that Avery's not been a hugely popular character, but you gotta admit the actress was bringing it this week. The initial scene after Joe did his whole indecent proposal thing to her, the whole uh, have sex with me or I'm gonna blackmail you and tell, uh, tell everybody that you pushed me off the balcony. After he proposed that to her, her reaction was so authentic. It was so uh, over the top. It was so emotional. It was physical. Um, she completely blew up in at him in exactly the right way. She says, oh, well, you, you want sex from me? Okay, I'll give you sex. I mean, she like, she's ripping her blouse off, ripping his shirt off, running around the apartment, pouring a glass of wine, trying to create the, uh, the pseudo romantic moment for them. Obviously what you want is just my body, so here's my body. Clearly you don't want anything emotional from me. You don't want me to want you back. You just want the physical part. Well, here it is. She lays it out on a platter. It was such an emotionally charged scene. I could not believe how incredible the actress was. I mean, the look too, I mean, the the, the guy who plays Joe Scott, uh, Elrod, the look on his face was also so uh, genuine in a way of like, ugh, you know, I mean, like he wasn't expecting that reaction. I cannot, Im I cannot imagine that he thought, that Joe thought that that was going to work in any way, but if you kind of look at his face as she's uh, kind of uh, crashing through the apartment uh, with her big, big reaction, it was so um, right on, it's what you think it would be. I just loved that scene so much. Um, I loved everyone in it. And even though it was an unexpected and disgusting um, uh, proposal or idea, it was played out so, so well. The, the surprising thing uh, toward the end of that sequence was um, Joe grabbed Avery at the end of it and had, um, I mean, he grabbed her forcefully uh, and, and he, um, you know, kind of was trying to jog her out of this big reaction. And Avery has this sort of audio flashback of of remembering another time when Joe was physical with her. We kind of heard this audio track overlaid on the scene of him saying something to the effect of, uh, I've, I've given you everything, and then a, a smack maybe and a scream, and it was, it was implied that she was having a flashback of something that had happened before, that he had hit her before in their marriage. And it was so um, shocking to me that that was something she didn't remember until 
until now. I mean, I guess uh, on a on a, a writing note or on a YNR note, I feel a little bit annoyed that it was never implied before. It feels the fact that Avery's been, uh, you know, this battered woman uh, in the past totally makes sense to me, character-wise, I I really kind of almost wish YNR would have built it like this from the beginning. I mean, I feel like we've been having, uh, getting to know Joe. I feel like YNR has tried to maybe make us like or understand Joe at least a little bit over the course of the past couple months since he's come on the show. And now all of a sudden the story has twisted and this is a guy who hits women. And whether it happened once or, you know, it happened many times, that's now what he is. And that's sort of this, this sum of his character. And there's a part of me me that um, can completely believe that that's something that Avery would have experienced. I can completely believe that that would have been an element in their marriage. And I can completely understand that Avery would have been someone who maybe repressed that memory and instead of actually dealing with it, went out and decided to become this fighter for uh, uh, rights, for the, you know, for the rights of the innocent. And she sort of turned this a negative, horrific experience into something positive. I believe that of her. That feels consistent of her. It just doesn't entirely feel consistent of Joe. I mean, didn't we just learn a couple of weeks ago that he came from a battered home or a home where, I don't know if the father abused the mother or left the mother. I can't entirely remember what, uh, what the story was, but he... Uh, had been in a shelter at one point with his mother, and uh, that's what the whole Better Days Foundation was about. So I, I mean, I can't tell if it, if it's, it's inconsistent or consistent with the character. Maybe Joe uh, ha, ha, d went through that experience with his mother, but you know, as a lot of people do, maybe he finds himself acting out the bad behaviors that he grew up with. Maybe he saw his father hitting his mother, and so that's he found that he thought that was natural and so it's something that he that sort of overcame him and overwhelmed him and he did it but YNR's not showing us that it seems like on a dime we've gone from connecting with Joe at least on a little bit of a level like he's okay maybe he's a jerk but he's still an okay guy to now all of a sudden he's violent he's dangerous and maybe he killed Avery that's where it seems a little bit off to me and I, I, I just wish maybe we would have had a little bit longer of planting seeds for that twist because ultimately I think it's an okay uh, and believable twist but I was so thrown off by all of a sudden another murder mystery I mean you know you guys know I was dying they show this scene of you know post Avery and Joe's fight they show this scene of blood dripping on the floor and a broken vase and we didn't know it was Avery at first but the story unfolded and and you know the, the, there's we've discovered that there's blood on the floor in Avery's apartment. Her door's been left wide open. She's missing. Her car's been found down by the lake. We don't, you know, everybody, everybody in Genoa City thinks Joe did it, which made me think there's no way he did it. It almost seemed, um, I, I, it just, I, I was so annoyed at first. Like, please do not tell me we are going through this again. I cannot take another whodunit. It would, it seemed too obvious to me that Joe would have done it. 
it. And again, it just seems so abrupt that all of a sudden Joe's this violent guy. Avery's missing. Everybody's trying to find her. Ultimately, she pops back up. Uh, big surprise. Uh, turned out to be nothing. And the very first place she shows up is Dylan's. So uh, he's kind of in this position of starting a new relationship with Sharon, uh, but maybe feels a little bit guilty for abandoning Avery, uh, especially when I mean, I, you know, throughout the whole evolution of the Dylan, Sharon, Avery, Joe quadrangle, we were sort of under the impression, or I was sort of under the impression, that maybe Avery and Joe really did still have feelings for each other. Uh, maybe she was being, you know, sucked in back into to the marriage. Uh, and, and it sort of turns out that maybe that wasn't the case. I mean, Dylan certainly did act on his feelings for Sharon, but uh, Avery didn't. I mean, when she had the opportunity before this week when Joe, or last week when Joe made the indecent proposal, uh, she had a chance to get back together with him, and she didn't take it. I don't know if she knew on some level that he was manipulating her, but Avery insisted the entire time that, she, you, know, th you know, that Dylan and everyone was sort of accusing her of letting Joe into their lives. Uh, she she insisted that she didn't have feelings for him, and at the end of the day, she, she I think, felt guilty for what happened on the balcony, but she didn't take the opportunity to to get back together with him. And now all of a sudden she's uh, showing up at the coffee house. Uh, Dylan is, you know, maybe worried about her, maybe feeling a little bit guilty for leaving her. Uh, of course, feeling concerned about her. We know about Dylan that he, he loves to rescue, and Avery is someone who is in need of rescue right now. Uh, he sort of secretly, uh, Sharon ends up sort of seeing that uh, Avery is fine, she, She's and not only is she fine, but she's reaching out to Dylan, of all people, not her own family, not her colleagues but Dylan, the guy who just kind of dumped her, the guy who dumped her and, and just got involved with another woman, uh, Avery sees him as her hero. Uh, Sharon sort of sees it, backs away from it, doesn't pursue it, and I'll talk about that later, but um, Dylan and Avery have this moment where he's trying to understand what happened to her. And I don't feel like I entirely understand what happened to her. He gets Avery's version of the story, and she pretty much, uh, you know, says, she lays out the truth about what happened in the apartment, uh, but, I, but just says she cut her finger and uh, uh, then, f f like, was so scared about Joe that she fled, which was way too much blood for the, the there was way too much blood on the floor for it to have been a, a little band-aid on the finger. I mean, have you ever cut your finger for crying out loud? That was a lot of blood. It was dripping down onto the floor. It looked like a lot. So Dylan questions her about this and even implies, hey, are you, were you maybe trying to fake your own uh, murder? Were you maybe trying to frame Joe for this? Because it was working. Every single person in town was believing that he killed her. And she denies that that was her intention. 
but I don't know. I don't know where Avery's head is right now. And from, you know, just from reading the YNR news and the soap opera news, we know uh, now that there was apparently some kind of storyline in the works where Avery falsely accuses Joe of rape. And I don't know if it is related to the actress's exit. It sort of seems, I mean, she doesn't, I don't get the impression that the actress has said a whole lot about her exit, but um, uh, I don't know if it was, if, if that, it's, what I'm hearing is that the actress was so appalled by that storyline that she decided to leave the show or got fired from the show or that somehow that was connected. And so I'm kind of wondering, um, well, uh, apparently the storyline was so abhorrent that uh, Charles Pratt, the head writer, had to go back and rewrite it. And I'm wondering if that is what we are seeing now. Are we seeing um, maybe the remnants of that story where maybe now instead of Avery accusing Joe, falsely accusing Joe of rape, is she trying to falsely set him up for her murder? How is this all going to work into uh, the exit of the, uh, uh, the exit of Avery off the show, and why? Why does it have to happen? I I just I really like the actress. She's you know just like you know her and her uh, her tank top and her her little uh, her shrug. She was she was had this little light thin uh, shawl over her that was so beautiful at the at the coffee house when she's talking to Dylan, and she reveals that she has this bruise on her arm, which I'll admit is, was surprising to me because I didn't. I didn't get the impression from that scene, uh, from the confrontation scene at Avery's apartment between Avery and Joe, that he grabbed her that hard. I mean, it seemed like it was a bruise and a mark. I didn't uh, realize that he had grabbed her that hard, um, but she's sort of now revealing that this is what he did to her, and I just thought the actress played it so well. I, I, I just recently started watching, this is crazy considering it's 2015, but I'm seeing YNR and HD for the first time, really. I mean, I've seen a few episodes like that, but the, the quality of, of the the version of YNR that I watch every week is not wonderful. Uh, and, and this week I was watching it in HD and I was just so appreciative of every single little facial expression that Jessica Collins was giving to us. I completely connected in with her as someone who had been this, uh, you know, that she, she had been hit or hurt by him uh, and that she was going through something. She had blocked it. I, I felt her fear and I just, I totally bought it. I totally bought it hook, line, and sinker. I think um, that this could have been better, uh, but but I believe it. And I think ultimately it's got to be uh, the way that she's going to leave the show. Um you know, they. Uh, Joe shows up at the coffee house. Of course, he can't leave well enough alone after he finds out that Avery is alive, and he's ready to say, "Hey, you guys, just try to accuse me of killing the woman that's standing right here. I had nothing to do with it." And Joe lies. I mean, he lies when he's there talking to Dylan and Avery, saying that Avery was throwing herself at him in that moment in the apartment. Uh, the, uh, he has Avery arrested or has everybody hauled down to the police station and. Tried 
tries to uh, accuse Avery of pushing him off the balcony. He decides to make good on that. Of course, Paul and Dylan and no one really believes him. But Joe has become full-fledged villain now, which I, I missed. I feel like, well, okay, I guess I have to hate him now. Um, and I, I am assuming that that is an indicator of that actor leaving the show, too. I kind of wonder if Avery and Joe are going to be whisked off the show together. I mean, right now, Avery has a restraining order against him. Uh, he has a restraining order against Dylan or something. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's very contentious. I don't know what the end result is going to be. I don't know if Avery is going to end up getting hurt by Joe, and I don't want to see that, frankly. I don't want to see Avery dead at the end of this arc, please. I would like, I think, I don't know, I've always liked Avery. I would like to at least have the door left open for her to come back on to the show eventually um, if she wanted to. I don't know. It sounds like maybe things didn't end very well or that there was uh, some bad blood kind of happening behind the scenes. Um, but I, I certainly don't want to see her dead. I'm going to be really, really disappointed if Joe ends up killing her or if, I, I don't even, I don't want to see her uh, trying to frame him for anything because there was that scene uh, after Avery came back into town where she talks to Phyllis open and honestly uh, and Phyllis says to her, or Phyllis starts to concoct a plan in her head about how they should get back at Joe and Avery says, no, 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 that's not who I am, that's not how I want to play it, I'm not gonna um, stoop to Joe's level and Phyllis says, you know what, you're right, we sh you know, we revenge isn't maybe the best option and the, the camera pans into Avery's face and she sort of shaking her head yes but you can see in her eyes that she's thinking that she's gonna have to go off book for this that maybe this is something that she's gonna have to compromise her morals for in order to get out of I just I just don't know how we went from Joe needs my help in, in recovery and he's this wounded bird and and he's a good guy ultimately he just cares about his work to now like he is a mortal threat to her, and so much so that she's afraid for her life. She's willing to run away from Genoa City. She's willing to to maybe frame him. I mean, it's just it's it's a heightened sense of danger that um, once again feels a little abrupt to me. Um, Phyllis. Phyllis has been leading the charge of finding Avery uh, midweek. And, you know, Phyllis, what do you guys think about Phyllis this, this week? She's definitely becoming a little bit more front burner. Um, and she was the one that was running around leading the charge to find Avery. She was the one that was really stepping on uh, everyone's toes. She smack, gave Joe a really good smack. I love the line where she uh, finds out that Avery is okay and she says, and he expects an apology and she says you're right I am sorry for smacking you and he goes well you didn't smack me and then she smacks him I thought that was great uh, I do I do like the actress um I I feel like Phyllis is deep down attracted to Joe have you noticed that she's constantly commenting about his good looks she's like I'm gonna smack that pretty face off of you or you know whatever she's got a, a, several different like good little one-liner ways of saying I find you both attractive and abhorrent at the same time which is maybe a, a good assessment maybe that's sort of how I feel maybe that's how everybody's feeling about him uh I, it's such a shame to me because I really like that actor or uh, 
I mean, I don't even, it's not even so much that I love the actor. I just, I think he's good eye candy for me. I'd like to keep him around. So I feel disappointed that he might not be uh, on the show for that much longer. I, I think we're arcing towards something really dark with Joe. And I don't see how he's going to continue to be on the show after that. Um, it's clear that Joe, uh, the way it's being written now, I mean, he, 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 it seems like he wants Avery and he's going to do anything he can to get her. Uh, and I think not only that, but he doesn't want Dylan to win in any way. Dylan is his rival. And there was this uh, moment where we saw again uh, of uh, Sharon and Joe having an interaction where Joe's sort of backup plan is to try to nudge Sharon in the direction direction of keeping Dylan away from Avery. Uh, Joe wants to isolate Avery and removing Dylan from that equation is helpful to his cause. So um, very interesting scene where Joe tries to bait Sharon. I think he's, he, you know, Sharon saw Dylan uh, comforting Avery and she's feeling insecure about that. I mean, I think it's a it's, it's, uh, maybe it's understandable. Maybe it's a little earlier in their relationship to have that level of insecurity. I don't know. I don't know um, if, you know, I don't know what, whatever is going to arc with Avery is going to affect uh, Sharon and Dylan's relationship, but Joe knows how to play on someone's insecurities, and he did that with Sharon a little bit, and I was happy to see that Sharon didn't give in to it. And, you know, I, I remembered that uh, Joe said something to Sharon, like, come on, Sharon, uh, you're a bad girl at heart. You know, join me. Be bad with me and break up Avery and Dylan. And I, that line kind of, um, it kind of clunked down into the, into the center of the room for me because I don't think Sharon's a bad girl at heart. Do you? I, but I thought it was an interesting question, uh, because she, she seemed taken aback by the fact that he would say that. And it, it struck me as well. I, do you think you guys, that Sharon is a bad girl at heart? Is that is that what other people's impression of her is? I mean, to me, I think she's a good girl at heart, and I think that she's gotten roped into, you know, some bad things pulled in many different directions over the years, but maybe that was just Joe's way of getting to her, manipulating her. Um, certainly, Joe is being painted as the puppet master uh, and the dark, dark one at that. I'm, I'm very worried about what's going to happen. Um, and we saw toward the uh, end of the week, Lily feeling despondent over some things that I'll discuss next, uh, feeling maybe a little bit insecure about herself and her marriage and her attractiveness. And there's just a brief little scene uh, between Joe and Lily. And, and she's asking him, do you find me attractive? And you know, this is a relationship that we've sort of seen uh, from the very beginning of when Joe came on, where he is very flirty. Uh, and, and, and he says, you know, of course, I, you know, you've been mad at me for acknowledging that I find you attractive. But yeah, I do. I do find you attractive. And I, I and Lily ultimately ends up just kind of saying thanks for acknowledging I mean she's a model does she really need anybody to tell her she's beautiful but she um she says you know kind of politely thank you thank you but I'm gonna go home to my kids now but I, I think that's another instance where uh Joe has identified someone's weakness and may very well be uh willing to exploit it I just I haven't gotten this vibe from him at all the whole battered woman thing or like like he's a woman uh, like he's a sadistic woman 
woman beater. I just have not got that from him. And I'm, I really hope that that's not where YNR decides to go with it. Because the, uh, I think the transition that we saw was, um, I don't know if it was Avery and Phyllis maybe having a conversation. And, and one of them said, you know, we should stop Joe before he hurts another woman. Pan to that scene of uh, Lily and Joe in the bar together. So, ugh, Lord help me. I really, I don't want to see anybody hurt at the end of this. And I hope that Lily's insecurity about her marriage uh, with Kane does not lead to her into some sort of mortal danger or her or anyone else. Oh, that kiss between Lauren and Kane in the park. I mean, it was a, it was like a quick kiss, a quick embrace. Lauren and Kane immediately come apart. And I feel like it was a sense of instant regret, both on their parts and on my part. Because when YNR first started planting these seeds, I thought, oh, you know, they could have some some potential. The second their lips hit, I was done. I, I was I was not having it. I was over it. I did not want to pursue this angle at all. It was a it was a tantalizing idea for about a millisecond. And then I was like, wait a minute, I hate this so much. Uh, and I still do. That's how I feel. Um, but the weird thing was, Lauren and Kane are kissing in the park, and we see uh, that someone is watching them from the bushes, and lo and behold, it's Michael. Really? I mean, like, he doesn't reveal in that moment that he saw them, but he reveals later. Uh, he runs into Lauren at the coffee house and says, you know, I know what you've been doing. And I thought, what? Is he following her? He, Michael, is, is he really lurking around in the bushes? <laughs> it seems a little over the top to me, uh, but it did end up uh, uh, creating an incredible scene. That, that, that confrontation between Lauren and Michael at the coffee house, he says or, you know, implies her, I saw what you were doing, you know, you're moving on, just divorce me. Uh, Lauren was able to kind of bubble over. I, I think that Lauren has been uh, at the very top of her, her brim uh, uh, of, of emotion for weeks now. Michael pushing her away uh, and, if, you know, getting some attention from Kane and making the mistake of acting on it when she doesn't want that. I, at the end of the day, I don't think Kane wants Lauren, and I don't think Lauren wants Kane. I think they both want, you know, their spouse, as they should, and there's no real reason why they should be together right now, uh, or why they even should have had that kiss, but I loved Lauren's explanation to Michael, where she just launched at him and said, you know what, I kissed Kane because you left me starved. What a great, great speech. What a great way to say it. You left me starved. You know, I mean, Lauren and Michael have had this wonderful relationship for years. They're the most stable couple on the show for, for years and years. And they've been there for each other in a really healthy and holy way. Uh, not just physically, but emotionally. All of the elements of what a great relationship should be are there with Michael and Lauren. And then Michael got sick. And the instant he got sick, he just, he just pulled it 
all back. He pulled everything he was giving to her back into himself in every single way. I mean, he, did, he, he couldn't even tell her that he was sick for weeks and weeks or months or whatever. He just completely went back into his shell uh, and, and starved her of the affection, starved her of, of the truth, starved her of everything that they had built together. Uh, and I just, I totally thought that was, that was a great speech. That was a great moment between them. Um, but now there's this there's a bigger crack in the foundation uh, between Mark, Michael and Lauren and it's spilled out into Kane and Lily which really makes me sad there just doesn't seem to be any good reason for it after the kiss Kane goes back to the club and he seems like he wants to fix things with Lily like he was instantly sorry wanted to uh, focus on his relationship with her and in fact he goes back into the club and he starts kind of saying all of the right things to Lily, kissing Lily with the same lips that he just kissed Lauren. I wasn't happy with Kane in that moment. In fact, I feel most disappointed in Kane. There's no reason for him to have kissed Lauren. I mean, Lauren, I get her perspective. I understand where she's coming from. Michael's doing something to her that's horrible. And yet nothing horrible has happened to Kane. I mean, all Lily was was suspicious of something that ended up happening. So I'm so disappointed in him. Um, and he decides that he's not going to tell Lily uh, until Lauren uh, tells Kane that Michael already knows and then Kane realizes oh crap I guess I need to tell Lily and rather than telling her immediately Lily has to end up finding about it finding out about it secondhand. Lily runs into Michael and sort of gets the vibe that something's up uh, you know because Michael knows Michael knows everything and sort of is wondering if Lily knows too so Michael's a little bit um, uh, a little revealing or he raised her suspicions at least a little bit it. Um, and then Lily goes back to the club and confronts Lauren. Uh, uh, Lauren completely thinks Lily knows about the kiss, which she doesn't, and, and Lauren ends up telling her. And Lily is crushed. This is what she's been trying to avoid. This is exactly what she was afraid of all of this time. Lily, I'm sure, wanted to jump across that table and strangle the life out of Lauren, and then follow it up by going to Kane and strangling the life out of him. And I, she, you know, she did confront Kane. I I liked how subtle and and uh, like mean she was about about it. I mean, how could you do this to us, Kane? And Kane doesn't seem to be trying that hard to fix it. That's the thing that ticks me off about Kane right now. Hey, why don't you try to fix it? And you know, there there becomes this uh, little trio of anger in the middle of the athletic club. Lily confronting Kane, and of course, Lauren accidentally walks into the scene. Uh, and 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 you know, Lily blown up. She's upset about it, obviously. Uh, obviously and understandably upset with her husband. And Kane kind of gives her the, uh, I'm not going to talk to you about this while you're overreacting, while you're being like this. I'm not going to talk to you about it. And he ejects. What? You don't think you owe her an explanation? That's the second time that there's been a confrontation between Lauren and uh, Kane and Lily, and Kane has chosen Lauren's side. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't. Lily was right. Lily was right. <laughs> I'm mad at him. I don't understand him. Um, I understand Lily. I understand Lauren. 
Uh, and, and the odd thing is, is there is a part of me that after this week sort of started understanding uh, Michael. Good, another really good scene was Kane going to Michael and saying, well, you know, what you know about what are you doing? You, know, you need to be with your wife. And Michael says, you need to be with my wife. I mean, there's this moment where Michael's sort of implying that he wants Kane to sleep with his wife. You know, Michael wants Lauren to be satisfied and to be fulfilled and to move on sexually and to get, you know, to give her all of the things he can't. In fact, Michael referred to himself this week as a eunuch. I think that is, uh, you know, somehow I connected and I sort of understood not that I agree with uh, what what he's doing to her, but I sort of understood at least a little bit where he was coming from. And it reminded me that even though Michael has been a stable character on YNR for the past decade, he's always the one that's saving someone else. He's always the one that's the voice of reason. That is not always the case. Let us not forget who Michael Baldwin was originally when he came on the show. Michael Baldwin is someone who tried to rape Christine. He, didn't he, he like dug a tunnel to, <laughs> to like get into her apartment next door and come in and rape her. I mean, it was sadistic and dark. And I think what we're seeing is maybe just another little glimpse into Mar Michael's dark, dark state of mind. Maybe none of that went away. Maybe it just is being triggered now. freaking believe that Ashley had emergency brain surgery this week. What the heck am I watching? This is this really happened? So we went from uh, taking a couple pills to emergency brain surgery. It all happened so lightning speed. Again, big surprise. She has migraines and then she has the seizure and then it's revealed that she's had an aneurysm and hey, they have to operate on her brain and there's <laughs> emergency brain surgery. <laughs> Can you believe it? With a 50% chance of survival. Ooh. It's like Weiner just wants to toss in these senses of danger. They're just trying so hard to create these, these heightened moments. Uh, and it's false. It's like, a, you know, I can't feel it. I cannot feel it when there's been no buildup. I mean, I know, like, you know, medical things happen and they catch you off guard, but that doesn't feel like what this is. This just feels like basically a plot device to drive Stitch and Ashley together. That's entirely all it is. If you're, if anyone's wondering, I mean, Stitch is all up in Ashley's business like he, like it's any of his business throughout, you know, this whole thing, just because he used to kind of sort of be a doctor. Hey, Instead of working at, if you're so, if you care so much about medical stuff, instead of working at Jabot, why don't you go get your medical license, you know? Get an actual medical license and go work at the hospital. Uh, but no, he's, he's just sort of buttoned up in Ashley's business and um, Abby has every right to be concerned because that's, that's entirely what's happening. Uh, I mean, from the second Ashley admitted that she had, still had, kind of had feelings for Stitch, his attention turned. I mean, it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's, it's turning. And this whole 
thing is just a plot device um, to, to bring Stitch and Ashley together. Whatever. Uh, Eileen Davidson was completely convincing. Um, she did the best that she could. I was looking in her eyes. I felt what she felt. Uh, she, you know, she had this sort of internal struggle of, do I even want to have this surgery if it's going to mean that I you know, can't work anymore or that it's going to affect my life or, you know, whether that I could even die. Uh, so I felt Eileen Davidson giving me everything. She was beautiful. She was strong through all of that. It's just kind of a crappy storyline. Don't worry, she's back on her feet next week. The only other thing that, the only other element of the Ashley storyline that might come into play is the fact that she talked to Michael this week about having her will redone. So I don't know if that was just, uh, just sort of a throwaway scene or if somehow something's going to happen with Ashley and her affairs are going to somehow uh, filter out into whatever's going to end up happening with Jabot and Newman Cosmetics. Um, or Newman Abbott, <laughs> Newman Abbott Company. Uh, so this week, the real Jack, still on the bottom of that cargo ship, uh, the guy, uh, Marco, no, no, not Marco, crap, what's the ship captain's name? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting all this confused in my head. Um, the ship, I'll just call him the ship's captain, uh, is, has sent out a message that he, that he's captured Marco, uh, and he is sell, gonna sell him to the highest bidder, and guess who that ends up being? Fake Jack, back in Genoa City, is able to siphon off $10 million, you know, because you can just do that, <laughs> and pay it to this guy in the South Seas or wherever he is, uh, to, to have Jack Abbott brought to him uh, alive, I, presumably. Uh, but there's a moment where in order to get this $10 million, fake Jack has to rope Kyle into wiring the money. Uh, it, it was such a dark, incredibly dark, dark, dark moment. I picked on it, I picked up on it right away, like, wow, this guy is gonna ask Jack's son to wire the money that will end up possibly ending his father's life. It's a horrible, horrible, dark notion. Uh, but we know Jack's not dead. Uh, he's he's on the boat uh, acting out this whole telenovela uh, drama with uh, the girl. Shoot, I didn't pick up on her name this week either. Katarina? I don't know. I can't remember what her name is. <laughs> They're in this together, though. Marco and this uh, this woman are are in the bottom of the ship uh, trying to get off. Unfortunately, she's in as bad of a position as he is. They're both basically chained to a crate <laughs> and, and facing the idea that he might be dead soon, uh, Jack does decide to confide in her and tell her, look, I'm not this Marco. She's maybe the only person that has believed him all along that he's not Marco. Um, and uh, she kind of realizes, oh yeah, I guess you're kind of not like uh, my Marco. Kind of funny that she was able to figure that out in about mm, a couple hours. Phyllis still hasn't figured out the fact that she's sleeping with the imposter. Uh, but she, uh, the, the, uh, the lady, the Kat Katarina, I don't know. I'm going to call her Katarina for this, uh, this way in our chat. I think I, I called her, um, 
Sabrina. <laughs> I'm the worst. I called her the Sabrina in the last minor chat. This, for just conversation purposes of this minor chat, I'm calling her Katarina. <laughs> she has decided that she is going to seduce the ship's captain in order to get them out of this mess, which was actually kind of hot. I realized that the ship captain's kind of hot. I was like, where'd that guy come from? Too bad he's probably blown to smithereens now because he could have been hot. It, but it was a weird scene where she's trying to seduce the ship's captain and Jack's just sort of staring over at him like, uh, please don't have sex right here. <laughs> please don't do this in front of me. And, but it was weird the way she's working. She's going to work the ship's captain in order to get them out of this mess and Jack's just watching. I think I would have could have at least turned my head like it was inappropriate the way he was sitting there like leering at them. Uh, but she is able to seduce the captain out of the room while Jack, I couldn't even figure out what he was doing. I, the, I, the scene was so dark and I just like uh, the lighting was so dark. I could not figure out what he was doing but somehow he like worked his way out of the handcuff. He gets up uh, and he... <laughs> He becomes MacGyver, essentially. Jack uh, grabs a, a, a battery and some steel wool, and he remembers something that old Mr. Churchwell, his Boy Scout leader, taught him back in Boy Scouts, and he decides to start a fire. This is what he's, I mean, Jack should go on Survivor, for crying out loud. He lit that fire like, boom, bam. He's, he's I mean, which, which, by the way, just like, Lighting a fire on a boat? Why would you even do that? Why would you even do that? There's, I mean, you're, you're, I guess his, his fate was sealed one way or the other, uh, but I immediately when he decided that fire was going to help him, I thought, what are you doing? But he was uh, essentially trying to create a distraction, uh, <laughs> And I did, I did, uh, I did laugh because it worked. He, he gets this fire going. The ship's captain comes in and he's like, what's going on in here? And then Jack's waiting for him in the background and he like clunks him over the head with a board or something. And he, and he, 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 he exclaims, thank you, Mr. Churchill <laughs> or Churchwell, whatever it was. I can remember the Boy Scout leader's name, but I can't remember Katarina's name. Uh, but he, you know, he's like, he, 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 I love that he took the moment to thank his Boy Scout leader. I mean, what? how derpy is that? I, I laughed at that writing. Maybe when Jack finally gets back to Genoa City, he'll have a reunion moment with the Boy Scout leader and, and thank him for what he taught him. I never forget that. Uh, so, <clears throat> whatever. Ship's captain goes down. Uh, Jack and Katarina run off into who knows where. The very next scene we see is an overview shot of the ship exploding into smithereens. So... Uh, I don't know how he's going to get out of it, but I know he's going to get out of it. El Explosion can't kill Jack Abbott. Uh, back at home, back in Genoa City, fake Jack is coordinating a takeover. He's now decided to flip his switch and gather together all of the main players to do a takeover on Victor. He gathers Billy and Kyle and Chelsea and Gabe and he tells them that what they're going to do is they're going to set Victor up for embezzlement. They're all going to pull money out of their departments and put him into some secret account uh, that's in Victor's name and they're going to frame him 
him for embezzling money out of the company and try to make it look like Victor was always trying to buy Jabot just to take the money, which I cannot even believe that everyone would agree to. First of all, don't you think it's weird? that Jack spent all of these weeks trying to convince everyone that he was with Victor and even through a party. Uh, and now all of a sudden he is ready to frame Victor for embezzlement, which is kind of extreme. Not only that, but it's also putting everyone you love in danger. I would think these people would know that it was not really Jack. I mean, again, Chelsea's the only freaking one that's thinking on the show right now because she said to him, um, I kind of can't, I can't believe you're, you would go this this far to to do this and that's exactly what I'm thinking the real Jack would never ask his uh, family to basically embezzle he's asking them to embezzle in order to frame Victor for embezzlement I don't know why Chelsea would do it it's a it's Connor's grandfather. I don't know. I mean, I can understand Gabe doing it. I, I can't even see Billy going along with it, especially not giving his given his relationship with Victoria right now. You know, it's 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 a it's a cluster of uh, of, of 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 I don't know what, but I think. We're going to see some interesting dynamics out of it. Um, I you know what? There's still just on a side note. Is there any chance that the switch has already happened? We've talked about this a couple weeks in a row, but I just want to note that I am still watching YNR with the eye of wondering if it, by any chance that is the actual Jack Abbott in there. Um, and I just, I'm not seeing it. Um, I just don't see how it could be possible yet, but who knows? You never know. Um, I, th I think the whole takeover na thing now uh, is mostly, again, sort of a device to cause problems between the major couples of the show. Um, Victor has caught wind that Jack, who he knows darn well is fake Jack, uh, is up to something. And so he's asked Victoria to use her relationship with Billy to find out what it is. Uh, fake Jack has asked Billy to use his relationship with Victoria to find out you know, what Victor might be up to. So Billy and Victoria are caught right in the middle, which I think should be interesting, actually. I really, really like this Victoria and this Billy together. The chemistry's there. It just completely works for me. Uh, and I think that it should be interesting to see them caught in the middle. Maybe a catch-me-if-you-can style thing between Victoria and Billy. Like, who can, you know, they're both sort of trying to, or not catch-me-if-you-can, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is what it was, uh, where they're both sort of trying to one-up each other, get information from each other, and, and watching them be sly uh, in the interim I think should be interesting. Uh, we're going to see conflict between Adam and Chelsea. And again, I'm wondering what's going to be the thing that's going to, what's going to be the steel wool and battery that's going to ignite Adam's identity uh, the, the fire. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Chelsea is always, again, only person that's using her brain. Uh, she's always like listening and sort of catching on and, and uh, noting that Gabe is seeming extra interested in getting back at Victor. Hmm, what's his incentive? Of. So uh, she's already sort of caught him lying. It was an interesting moment, too, where she said, you're lying to me. Tell me the truth. And he says, you're right. I was lying to you. And then he proceeds to tell her another lie, which is all he's doing all day, every day that he pretends to be this other people or other person. Although I love, love, love the chemistry between these two actors. I'm loving the chemistry between Adam and Chelsea right now. I love it. I love it more than I ever, ever loved it before. But at the same time, every single day, every single 
a word that comes out of his mouth, he is lying to her. Um, it's also going to cause drama between Kyle and Summer. This whole takeover thing is forcing Kyle to lie to Summer. Is forcing him to uh, assume his I or uh, to to put his uh, familial responsibility as an abbot over his new relationship with her. Uh, it's it's really I think. The whole takeover thing is going to be good for getting us some scenes uh, that'll help us dig into those relationships. Um, Marco, fake Jack, finds out that the ship has exploded and that Jack Abbott was on and he's dead. Everyone on the ship is dead now. Uh, so he decides to come back and report to Victor like it's good news that Jack Abbott is dead, that his sources tell him there's no way anybody could have survived. And Victor's reaction was vicious. Maybe it's just again because I'm watching in HD, but he was, the look on his face was anger. Just like, I cannot believe that you did this or that this has happened. Uh, uh, fake Jack ends up revealing that he gave $10 million to get him. And, and Victor, the, just the no, the sheer notion that maybe it was a combination of the fact that fake Jack slash Marco is trying to one-up him, that he's going off book, that he's disobeying him. But also I think there's this sense of, I didn't want Jack to die. I wanted him to be tied up and tortured by a crazy lady, but I didn't want him to die. Jack Abbott cannot be dead. <laughs> he cannot be dead. Um, I think that Victor is a little screwed in all of this. I think Victor screwed himself in all of this. And I am wondering if he's going to get his. And I maybe wouldn't mind seeing it. Uh, you can see Victor struggling, struggling to control as much as he can because I think things have gotten out of his control. There was an interesting scene. Uh, Sage is in the hospital recovering from her appendicitis and she's still pregnant. Apparently the whole appendicitis thing meant nothing. That was just a scare. Uh, she's still completely pregnant. Uh, and Victor comes to the hospital, which just is inappropriate right there for him to even be up in her business when, she, when she's there in a hospital gown in a bed and he offers to put her up on a house at the ranch does that sound familiar to anyone else i mean victor's like wanting to keep his grandchild close keep her close keep control over something at first i thought well i wonder if that is that is that really just victor and his whole grandchild you know he has you know the whole blood the newman blood this newman blood i must have it near me uh, like he's gonna drink it or something but then i thought you know a little bit later you know, I wonder if Victor is genuinely trying to protect Sage and Nick and his grandchildren and anybody uh, that he can, that is, you know, maybe to protect his family, because I think maybe Victor's getting whiff of whatever it is that Mark goes up to. He is maybe even realizing that he has just opened up a very dangerous can of worms that he can no longer control. Okay, you guys, I hate to do it, but I've got to get going. I hope that you enjoyed YNR this week. I hope that you enjoyed YNR chat. And please feel free to leave me a comment. Um, you can go to yrchat.com. From there, you can leave a comment um, on the video. You can leave it on Facebook. You can leave it on Twitter. You can leave it right there at yrchat.com. 
or you could call into the voicemail at area code 309-588-4569. There's lots of different ways for you to leave your comments. I love hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I hope everybody has an awesome week and I will see you next time. Bye.